0: Well, the International Justice Mission, a Christian charity, has designated today Freedom Sunday and I hope on your chairs, you may want to just look at it right now, is a card that tells us something about this day and encourages us to take action and it tells us that according to the Global Slavery Index there are today 45 million people in the world in some form of slavery a quarter of whom are children the shocking reality is that today there are more people in slavery than at any other time in world history and on the International Justice Mission website which you can go to they highlight the story of Sadna, a young girl brought up in rural India sent by her family when only 14 to travel alone to Calcutta to find work she took a back breaking job working 12 hours seven days a week one day she heard the news that her father had died she knew she was in need of more pay, she was recommended to a new job when Sardhana arrived at the address she was pleasantly offered a drink, was asked to hand over her identity papers She innocently complied. The drink was drugged. She was then raped. And she was told that if she ever left what turned out to be the brothel, then her own family back home would be attacked. In India alone, it is said that a child goes missing every eight minutes. And nearly half of them are never traced. Now these stats on a day like today and we'll pray for this issue later inevitably fill us with revulsion and we may well want to use these cards, please take them home with you. But why is it that in our world that for many, by no means all perverted and poisoned people, that human life can more than occasionally be viewed as cheap and almost expendable. Who are we as human beings? And what actually is the moral basis for our worth? What are the moral foundations for human dignity? Well, for a few minutes before we come to communion I want us to pick up where we left last week returning to this new series on beginnings returning to the biblical story of creation as we said last week this beautifully told this cleverly shaped seven-day story is a remarkable window into our origins. Where the primary purpose of this text that we read with Holly is not to offer a scientific account but to celebrate the God who brought all things into being in his love and by his creative word. The focus, as we said last week, is on the Creator God who gives order and meaning and place to all that he has made including and today especially humanity and so I want us now to focus on day 6 which is told if you have your Bible in front of you in the verses 24 down to verse 30 of chapter 1 And on this day, the animals, verse 25, were made. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. But interestingly, On this same day, verse 26, God makes humankind. We are meant to see a continuity between animals and ourselves. But far more important is that we are meant to see discontinuity. For suddenly, when we get to verse 26, there is a change in tone and pace. It's as if God suddenly pauses to take breath. It's almost as if God hesitates to take the biggest risk yet. Do I really want to create human beings? Notice what is said. It doesn't say let me make man in mankind in my own image but let us make mankind in our image in our likeness is this the royal we speaking of God's majesty is this as it were God consulting either with his heavenly court or as some Christian thinkers have proposed uh, consulting within himself in his trinitarian being whichever way we read it what it does is that it creates a sense of occasion. Let us make man, Adam, humanity, in our image, in our likeness. And to underline the importance of these words, he then comes, notice, to this beautifully structured short poem in verse 27. Some of us looked at this in detail with Bill Tooman in some seminars last year but just look at this beautiful little poem so God created man Adam in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them three times, four times if you consider in our likeness to mean the same thing we are told something momentous about human beings that in God's astonishing love and generosity we have been made in his image. Now I guess for many of us here this is very familiar biblical language. But I want us to pause for a moment this morning and I want to encourage you to be surprised again, to be happily shocked, if you like, by what is said here. This creation account tells us that the unique value of human beings lies primarily not in our intellectual or social superiority, It does not lie in superior capabilities, but in the fact that in contrast to all the rest of the animal world, God made us creatures that are uniquely dependent on him, reflective of him, and in some way image him. It is a spectacular declaration. Of course, it does not go unchallenged. Just before the summer, St. Andrews University hosted a lecture, an all-ticketed lecture, some of you may have been there, by an eminent Australian moral philosopher, now working out of Princeton, called Peter Singer. Nearly 40 years ago now, Peter Singer, in an essay entitled, Animals and the Value of Life, caused not a little controversy by arguing that human beings, though different to the higher primates for sure, have no privileged position. He went on to say that actually to favour human beings per se in the context of the animal kingdom, was to commit what he called speciesism equivalent to the prejudices of racism and sexism and ageism. Clearly animal life is to be respected and this creation account would support that for sure. But by removing, as Singer did, any special dignity to humankind as humankind leads him down a dangerous path. And so he writes this, if we compare a severely handicapped infant with a non-human animal, a dog or a pig for example, we will often find the non-human to have superior capabilities both actual and potential, which, he says, is morally significant. For Singer, our worth is all about our capabilities and our usefulness. And it leads him, as you could imagine, not only to a very liberal view of abortion, but even to legitimize, in certain circumstances, infanticide. within the Judeo-Christian community there are others who point out that this phrase being made in the image of God is only used actually three times in the Old Testament here in the creation account then in Genesis 5 verse 1 on the screen here a summary statement this is the book of the generations of Adam when God created man he made him in the likeness of God. And then in Genesis 9 verse 6, in the context of laws given to Noah, whoever sheds the blood of man, by mankind shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. What is important to note is that though the language of the image of God as such is not used at all often in the Old Testament, it does come at very significant moments. The crowning moment of creation, the beginning of the genealogies, the prohibition to murder, no less. So here we have humanities, unique dignity and whatever view we may take and I guess we will have very varied views of our understanding of early hominid history with population geneticists almost being united around an out of Africa migration as a very early movement of human life whatever different views we take all biblical Christians unite on this absolutely crucial point that whilst accepting the obvious biological continuities between ourselves and the high primates there is nonetheless on the basis of this creation story a fundamental difference in moral status humanity and humanity alone reflects something of the creator himself. And so any human trafficking, any abuse or violence towards another human being any discrimination between human beings certainly ethnic cleansing, any casual attitude toward the beginning or the end of human life, any slavery of humans, any denigration of our own self-worth, and that is a big issue. All these things are nothing short of a massive affront to the Creator whose image we uniquely bear. But what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well if you look at the text with me here the answer is it does not explicitly tell us. And I for one, somehow have a feeling that that was deliberate. What is clear is that the image of God is not some sort of independent thing that after God created us he's then sort of as a bit of an afterthought bequeathed on us as a bit of an add-on that somehow we will now be in the image of God. Rather it speaks of the very essence of how and who we are. It is definitive of in fact what it means to be human. But though no definition is given, this dramatic account of what happens on the 6th day does give us some important clues. So first, notice that, on the first, that for the first time in creation, when God creates humans, God seems to speak more directly and more personally than before for sure in the creation narrative God gives to subhuman creatures basic instructions to go and multiply so for example if you look at verse 22 after creating the great sea creatures and the aquatic life God says be fruitful and increase in number but in contrast look at verse 28 and it says God said to them and verse 29 God said I give you to human creatures God speaks directly and he speaks not only words of blessing and fruitfulness but also instruction and permission to be human then we could say to be made in God's image is to have the capacity to be addressed By the living God himself. To be made in God's image implies some sort of correspondence of being. Between God and ourselves. In that sense God is not wholly other. There is some correspondence. Human beings are the creatures to whom God personally speaks. Second, notice if you look back to the poem on verse 27 that there is this twist. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him and then comes male and female, he created them. And it's a surprising end. It is a linking of God's image to our male and female nature. And hints, at least, that there is something about human-gender complementarity, something about the mutual relationship of male to female that reflects something of the relational nature of our Creator. To be made in God's image is to be made Relational, as God is. We share something of God's joy in relationships. We are made in love, to love Him and to love others. Fundamental to that, our essence, is not just a capacity, but an orientation to look up and to look out. And this, of course, is the biblical challenge the stance of a Peter Singer because when someone has no capacity to speak or make a moral judgment the newborn the severe dementia sufferer, the comatose patient they are still bearers of God's image of invaluable worth why? because being made in God's image they are fundamentally orientated toward God who loves them and addresses them when they cannot address him, who holds them and sings over them and declares how precious they are in his sight Helmut Thieliker a great German pastor and scholar put it with disarming simplicity when he wrote the divine likeness rests on the fact that God remembers us this orientation of humanity's being towards God in relationship but perhaps the most striking thing from today's text the most striking thing about the drama of day 6 is what God actually says to the humans so look at what he does say look back to verse 26 Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And look what it goes on to say. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then, just in case they missed it, it's repeated. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Image bearing is about relationship, but it leads to responsibility. It is about a fundamental vocation to somehow represent God on earth, to be God's proxy, to carefully, sacrificially, benevolently steward God's world. It is often said in the commentaries, and some of you will have read it, that in ancient times kings and emperors would set up an image of themselves in the far flung corners of their empires. To remind people who had never seen the king that in fact he was the ruler and it was his territory and they were his people. And God, as it were, has installed us on earth to bear the image of the king of kings, to be stewards on his behalf. Of course, there is something deeply ironic here. Because so you will remember that one of the crucial commandments to Israel was that they must never construct an image of God God is far too majestic far too glorious to be represented in some stone or some idol but there is one way God is imaged on earth and it is in humanness it's a very powerful thing we are the only creatures that disclose something about the nature and being of God. So here we have these hints as to what the image of God could mean. These hints on day six. And of course they are all deeply interrelated. We have been made for fellowship, for relationship with God. We have been made to hear God and to speak to God. We have been made to enjoy Him, to reflect His glory and so that we commend Him as image bearers to the world, as His ambassadors and representatives. Back to Mother Teresa. And Calcutta, not back to Mother Teresa, but back to Calcutta, and to Mother Teresa, the great hero of Albania, who gave her life, as we know, to bringing dignity to some of the most mistreated human beings on our planet. And in one non-Christian biography of Mother Teresa, the writer says this, Mother Teresa and her missionaries of charity have been brought here because of a curious and alien philosophy unfathomable to the dogmas of Hinduism that there is some point to bringing a human being to a place where he can die with at least a scrap of dignity and for the author of Genesis it is not an alien and a curious philosophy It is the clear declaration of the Creator on day six. Let us make mankind, every human being, in our image. Our unique dignity. The time has gone and we come to communion. But I need to say just one more thing. Day six, the climax of creation, points to day seven, the day of rest. But as we look out on our world on Freedom Sunday, the one thing that we can all agree about is our world is deeply restless. The wars, the suffering the denial of human dignity, the robbing of human freedom, the restlessness in our own lives this morning. And the reality is something has gone terribly wrong. Our sin and our rebellion against God is what it has been and it has marred us. The image of God is still there. It is still the essence of our humanity, but it has become, as it were, impoverished and disfigured. In fact, there has only ever been one human being who has fully lived out what it means to bear the image of God. And that person is Jesus Christ. And I commend tonight's service to you and to our new series on Colossians where in tonight's service we are going to read these momentous words He, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God He alone, the Son is orientated fully to the Father He alone communes perfectly with the Father. He alone perfectly represents the Father to the world. The writer to the Hebrews puts it very powerfully. First he quotes Psalm 8, a psalm that summarizes what we've just been thinking about on day 6 of creation. You made him a little lower than the angels, speaking of humanity. You crowned him with glory and honor, put everything under his feet. That is how the Creator wanted it to be. But then the writer to the Hebrews with a heavy heart and with, yes, understatement, he writes, yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, for sure. But then he says this, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus, the perfect image bearer who was made a little lower than the angels, he became human. Now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The good news as I end is that Jesus Christ is not only the perfect image bearer, but that through his death and resurrection, which we now celebrate, around the Lord's table he is the one person who can restore us to what God always intended for us Colossians again chapter 3 and verse 10 writing to young believers you have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator There is a real sense in which Jesus Christ is the one true human being. And we could speak of ourselves, if you forgive it, it, as human becomings. We are on our way to becoming what God always intended us to be. And as we come again to Jesus this morning, as we receive his forgiveness and celebrate his new life, as we grow more like Christ by his Spirit, as we walk in faith and obedience, we are discovering, as a group of ordinary people here this morning, what it is to be renewed in the image of how God first made us to be. It is indeed not only our unique image, but it is our unique destiny.